Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 64, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. MLR Kickoff number 64, and it is probably one of the biggest shows we have ever done. We have three, that's right, three massive guests coming on to the show, all from the New England Free Jacks. It is kind of like the 4th of July come late for the patriotism all the New England free jackisms that we have in the show. Pete Seinberg, as always, joining me. Pete, are you ready for all this New England love? I almost feel like we should have Belichick on as well. You know, Dan, you, you, you're constantly trying to bring up New England sports with the New England free jacks. It's like, it's like your little pastime. It's like you've got to bring it up. It isn't about Belichick. It's not about the Patriots. This is about the free jacks. And yes, I am pumped. We've, we've got... We're going to learn a lot about the Free Jacks and what they're going to look like next year, just over the next hour or so. It is. We will kick things off with their CEO. We'll then have on their two big announcements this week in Terra Matimbu, their signing from the Sharks in South Africa, and then Ryan Martin, their new head coach from the Otago and Melbourne Rebels programs down in New Zealand and Australia, respectively. But Pete, to get things started, we bring in a man who is well-known. Well, that would probably be an understatement in USA rugby circles. Alex Magleby, he burst onto the scene as first a player, then a coach, high performance, now an administrator. So let's welcome Mags into the show right now. Joined now by Free Jack's CEO and man of the moment. He is absolutely everywhere, Alexander Magleby. Mags, firstly, thanks for joining the show, legend. Dan, thanks for having me. Legend. Big week for you, mate. Big week. Always a big week for, for Mags, actually. But a, a big week for the Free Jacks as well, as you announced uh, not only a marquee signing in Terra Matembu, but also a new head coach in Ryan Martin. How was, uh, obviously, the search process for the head coach? We'll talk about Ryan first. And then, um, you know, how did uh, you and your team up there come to that conclusion that Ryan Martin is the man to lead the Free Jacks forward? Yeah, you know, I think the... the blessing of the shortened season you know there's a lot of issues that we've had to deal with the blessing of that is like we're in the middle of this contest we get to stop and say okay what are we doing right what can we improve on how do we move this thing forward and we had a really good staff we still have a really good staff it's just how do we augment that and figure out the best pieces uh, to make sure that this motor really works as effectively as it possibly can um, and then so TK really led a global search to try to find the right fit. Certainly a lot of really high quality coaches out there and parts that could fit in um, to how this, how this puzzle was going to work. And then, um, you know, Ryan was, was, was just stellar on not only in the interviews, but we did a lot of, you know, send us some curriculum you do and what is your pedagogical skill? Let's see that. Let's see it on video. Let's poke holes in that. And uh, we were able to get to where we wanted to with Ryan in terms of what he's going to be able to bring to our community which was, which was a really important piece. Now, I'm starting to think TK might be the Kaiser Soze of the Free Jacks, you know? Is he really pulling the strings in the background? Because everything that happens... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Terra a little bit because I've, I've watched these highlights. I mean, you, you're getting a very dynamic aid. Set piece in particular, he's very, very strong, but also very motivated. He's, he's got a lot to prove after coming back from, from serious injuries. How is that process of recruiting him and getting him to New England? Yeah, I think what we're seeing right now, there is certainly at a macro level, there's a lot of really high quality rugby athletes around the globe who want to play in Major League Rugby. And so that's really, really good to see. So in a lot of ways, this is a, is a buyer's market and we're able to find the right fit athletes. And then when we're seeing that, and Tara for us is the absolute right fit. You know, he's at his, the peak of his career, he's 29. He's got three really, really high-quality years in front of him, if not more. So he'll be with the free jack for that time period. What's important to him in his life right now is making sure that he's in a position where he can give back to the game uh, and still compete at the highest possible level that, 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 that for him. And so bringing in a player like that who's very dynamic, can run. You know, he played sevens for, for South Africa. He was South Africa under 20s. More importantly, he's been a leader at kind of every step he's gone on with the Sharks in the Curry Cup, both in Super Rugby. Um, he's, he's certainly shown a lot of leadership skills and then um, his, his desire to, to really give back, you know, he's going to really be in, integral in our continue to build out of our uh, academy and community initiatives and our learn to play initiatives. He's really excited about that. 
And unlike kind of what's happened in the MLS last few years where some of those players have come in, he's coming in now to where that infrastructure is already starting to be built out. So he can be the most successful he can be as a, as a coach to uh, young boys and girls. And he's really excited about that. Terry does a lot off the field, you know, against gender-based violence and other things that are, that are important to us to make sure we're, we're able as a sports organization to educate uh, and use our platform to hopefully make a better place and a better world. And, and Tara's all about that. So we're really excited to bring him in. So it was a truncated season, but you guys did get to play. What did you learn about the team that led you to think, hey, Tara's a good fit? Um, what other things did you learn that we might see from the Free Jacks as they go through the rest of the offseason, other additions or compliments? Yeah, I think if you just look back at the last season and the way we had trained, you, you saw that come out in the matches. We were very good at strike moves. You know, highest scoring team in the MLR. The vast majority of those came off of strike moves, primarily from lineouts. So in structured play, we were one of the better teams in the MLR, and we did a really, really good job of that. You know, if every game ended at the 60th minute, we would be 5-0, right? On the road for those first five games, four of those matches were against last year's top four. We were in every game to the last possible minute. Our training environment, perhaps we let our players down in a way. We didn't transition as well as we could have. We didn't quite carry ourselves through 80 minutes as strong as we started. And so those were things that we needed to work on, just making sure that we got the training environment right so we would see those, those performances. Certainly, and the really exciting part about hiring Ryan is he, is he understands all sides of the ball. He's seen it at every level. You know, he started out coaching under 10s. He's really done this the hard way. He's a teacher by trade. That's, that's his craft, his teaching. Under 10s, Otago Boys High for a long, long time, built a – continued a national power there at Otago Boys High. You know, kind of gr had to grind it out as a coach in that New Zealand system, getting time with Otago, my under 10, leveraging that up, head coach of um, Rapid Rugby, you know, the Asian Pacific Dragons. And then at, at, the, at the Melbourne Rebels, he does a lot of their exit strategy, transition work, attack work, skill work. You know, you know people have said he's kind of the Harlem Globetrotters coach of, of, of attacking rugby. And, but he has such a pedagogical background to go back to, to really help drive kind of the missing pieces we had in our education process of our players. And that's a really, really strong thing about Ryan. So I think adding that into the mix with already a good local uh, coaching group that continues to grow, uh, it will be a, it will be a massive positive, and I think you'll continue to see the the structure that we've established, but as important and more important, the ability to exist and, and and be happy and thrive and in the transition parts of the game and the less structure, the more chaos of the game. I think that's where Ryan can really help this team thrive. So, so next year's MLR season is um, going to be very important for the MLR, but it's also going to lead to now the Olympics, which is now in 2021, and you have a unique background, Mags, as Seventh player, seventh coach, head of high performance for the U.S. How's that going to work with, I mean, there's obviously players in the MLR that could play for the U.S. that could be Olympians. How do you think that's going to work next year? And, you know, how's, how do you think USA Rugby and USA Sevens can work with the MLR to make sure that um, the player gets the opportunities that, that they probably need? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point. I think you've seen MLR release a few players over the last year or so to go be in that daily training environment under Mike's tutelage and be a part of that program. And I think really that's that entry point really has already happened. And so now those athletes are working really hard with that program. There's a mature group of players already in that program to help them along. They're in an awkward situation because, of course, they were supposed to be peaking this July. They're not getting that opportunity. What does the, the series look like for them? You know, and so for us, it's doing everything we can to, to help make sure that they have opportunities to compete and everything else. I mean, from a commercial standpoint, we would love to run, I personally would love if MLR was running a, a sevens program, a sevens, you know, series of events in the, in the off season. We certainly have the players in the league who could do uh, very well um, and have proven themselves at you know, various international teams, but also with the U.S. to, uh, to, um, you know, to, to, to put a very good product on the field. But more importantly for me from a business standpoint is being able to, to, to share our brand even further in perhaps a more accessible rugby environment for, for the American sports fans. That would be really cool. How that happens in time is, is an unknown at this stage, but that would, I think, be a really, really good opportunity to, to combine the powers of the great work that is happening with the U.S. 7s program and MLR. Now, Max, 
Pete just touched on it there. You do have a history, obviously, in the game. And I want to kind of dig a little deeper into that. Your journey to CEO of the Free Jacks is a pretty complex yet fascinating one. You started playing rugby in Utah at Highland. Uh, you were the, the inspiration for Forever Strong. That you were, They said it was you, uh, Scorsese, Spielberg. And you were kind of figuring out how to piece this together. And then you stormed off set because you lost creative control. But... But seriously, Highland, you go on, represent the US 15s and 7s. Then comes the big part in 2012. Al Caravelli is relieved. You put your hand up and it begins a transformation in 7s that Mike Friday has now taken to the success we see today. Talk a little bit about how that came about. I've always been fascinated to know the story behind that. And, you know, just as you got things successful, you almost stepped away. What was kind of the thought process going into that sevens coaching job? And what was the bigger picture you were looking at when you did step away from it? Yeah, and I think the attraction to me into the sport for a long time has just has been the, to be a part of, of, of building systems, helping others build systems. And that was the attraction coming into the sevens program as a head coach, is getting that opportunity uh, to, to be a part of, you know, putting in more infrastructure that then quality talent like, the mics of the world can then take, you know, and really explode. And similar experience I'm having right now uh, with the Free Jacks is it's ground zero. How do we improve this? Um, how do we put in systems that hopefully will give us long-term success? That's a really exciting part for me as a background in engineering. And even as a player, it was on the side, I was doing analytics and other things and running entrepreneurial ventures uh, because those parts are, are, are really fascinating to me to get right. And uh, my timing was just the key to all of that. And I was in the right place at the right time and uh, then had opportunities to, to, to build systems with some very good people. And you see that now with the sevens program, you know, you've got the care program and the golden Eagles um, and the Falcons and, and other pieces that um, have really given us a, a bit of a runway with the quality staff that they've now brought on board. And of course the players maturing in that environment has been a really important piece to that too, to their successes. A lot of experience on that side of things, but I think Pete can attest to this as well. You don't really learn a lot about yourself until you become a father. And then every single deficiency you have in your life is just <laughs> thrust into the spotlight. You're a dad as well, amongst all of this, your husband and a father. How do you balance your time? You've just launched your own podcast as well, so we'll give a shout out to the Full Contact CEO. Um, but how do you balance everything? You know, we're having two kids and having the free jacks and having the consultancy, having Dartmouth. Like, you seem to have a lot of, lot of distractions, for lack of a better term, for just a normal husband and father. But you seem to balance it and manage it quite well. What's your tip? And can you email it to me in quick notes? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned full contact CEO. The other day we had Doug Lamov on, and Doug is fantastic. And for those who have read Teach Like a Champion or Practice Perfect, he is kind of the international guru of teaching and pedagogy and putting systems in place and actually giving you precise tools to improve the teaching environment. He had a massive, his books had a massive influence on me as a coach, right? Cause it was actually like summer of, of 2010, I'm reading teach like a champion and lo and behold, our classroom culture is better. And that team goes and wins a national championship, right? Great team. But there's probably some tweaks there, some crafts that I learned. But in the conversation with Doug, it was like everything that he talks about in those books, those actual crafts, those, those tools to use as a, as a coach or a teacher are actually things that really helped be a parent, right? And I think that's putting systems in place. You know, he talks about and teach like a champion. How do you distribute papers, right? How do you hand out papers? Where if you do it a certain way, you'll save seven seconds over the average teacher each day, and that adds up to a week of extracurriculum, things like that, right? So applying systems, and you have to, you know, you guys are fathers, and as, as the children, as more children come on board, like you have to, right, where you're going from like 2v1 to a 2v2, and we kind of skip the 2v2 part because Char and James are twins, and so we're suddenly going straight zone and trying to figure out what that's going to look like. Brooke's a doctor. I'm a coach and I was like, okay, can we figure this out? At least we should be able to figure this out, right? So it's just for us, it's systems and I fail every day at it. So it's, <laughs> I imagine you do. Honestly, honestly, I don't think systems work. Like, um, like Mags and I think like we've worked a lot. We think in the same way about systems. I don't think systems work with, with parenting. It, I, think, I think you have irrational actors. So yeah. I think irrational actors <laughs> make systems very difficult. 
built into the formula. Absolutely. And then you think you get it. You're like, okay, this is working. This system is totally working. Now we're sweet. Okay, I can retire as dad. And uh, it, then they change. And it's just yeah. completely Pete, well said. Yeah. I, think, I think principles are better than systems with parenting. That's yeah. how I think about it. <laughs> Uh, we've we've turned into the Major League uh, Rugby Parenting Podcast here. Little pearls for everyone. <laughs> All right, Max, let's talk about that guy over your shoulder there. Is it true that you told Nate to sign with the Giants as a spy against Rooney and to infuriate James English? Is that is that true? James Kennedy, actually. Oh, oh. James Kennedy. James, edit that one. Sorry, James English. He, he was down there for a while too. But, yeah, James Kennedy. And we would love to have Nate come and play for the Free Jacks or anywhere in MLR, but obviously he's chasing that football career. And that would be great if he was a spy, but Nate is, Nate is so above board. And, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like the straightest arrow. He's like the straightest arrow. There's no way he would do that. Rise in that situation on, on my behalf. He knows he's not going to get any more rings there, right? Like the ring days are over. <laughs> Maybe. Johnny yeah. always come around every once in a while, unfortunately, and usually against the Patriots. I had Danny Dimes as my fantasy quarterback. It was uh, rocks and diamonds, unfortunately. So you could have a busy year on defense down there with the uh, the Giants. But you do have two pretty big-name owners up in New England, in Nate and Patrick Chung. We've got to spend some time with Patrick in the virtual season this year. Um, any talk of bringing in some more of the, the New England guys or maybe now some Tampa Bay guys? Just got a bit of cash. If Gronk wants to come in, fantastic. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be really, really special to have. This is just this is lit. Pounding beer at the games, I think, would be a fantastic sell. I was going to say the hospitality tent at the Free Jacks home game would be on. Well, we should let's let's you know we should talk about that because you guys were so excited about your home game, you were sold out. Is it, it like like next year, same location? Yeah. Like, same feel. Like, what happened to the season ticket holders? They get the tickets next year. How did you guys handle that? Yeah, so our season ticket holders, as soon as we found out we were suspending the season, the first piece of people I got a hold of, right, effective is like, okay, we're suspending and it looks like we're probably going to cancel. So here are your options. Um, I'm asking you, like, as the CEO, and you guys were the first ones to believe in us, to stay with us, carry over to next year, um, and, you know, come along for the ride as you've been doing and having the faith for this first year already. And every, they, they all did. I mean, we had 1,200 season ticket holders and two really needed a refund, um, but otherwise... Uh, two out of 1,200? Yeah, exactly. So That's pretty good. We have a great community, right? I mean, rugby yeah. been doing one area forever, and I think um, we've, we've learned a lot in kind of helping to build it, that, that community and bring them together. And I think everybody's just like, we want to make this happen collectively. Let's do this. Okay, we're still in. We've still got the faith. Right now, the question is, okay, now we, how do we sell tickets for next year? Uh, so what do we do? So is it, are we adding pod systems? Like, how is this actually all going to work? And, you know, watching everything from how the NFL is shaping it, 20 capacity. Well, for us, what is capacity? Because we're just building stands. So does that mean we put in another 10,000 stands so we can still get, you know, <laughs> What is capacity, right? Just like, how does this all work? Hartford Athletic in the USL, you know, they've got 25% capacity down at Dillon Stadium, Hartford, and they're doing a great job getting fans there safely. So there is probably a path forward. Um, right now we're assuming that there's going to be some some iteration of that in order to make this a, a big success. And maybe we're spending more on broadcast quality and uh, making sure this is just a just an even a better, right in your guys' wheelhouse, even a better TV product. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And we're doing another academy started. You know, we've been able to do light training uh, this this month in, in Massachusetts. We're still only in phase three, so temperature checks, face masks. But kids are having a great time. One parent said, you know, my kid now wears their face mask everywhere they go because they were able to do that with the free jacks. So that's awesome, right? So that's really, really cool. And we'll continue to build up with that. Josh Smith, you know, head coach of the free jacks last two years, Josh is going to take over the independence that allows him to continue his other job and his other work. And he's going to really drive the independence forward. That's our development team that we started last year, but really kind of put some energy into that and drive that forward as an opportunity for, you know, would be college and club players as they come up to have an opportunity to, to step into being a professional because there's that gap. So we're really excited about that. And we'll see that at multiple levels with our junior jacks. So all those initiatives, it looks like we can start doing light versions of that 
as we build up into 21. So I think a month ago, two months ago, we thought there was no way that was going to happen. Pleasantly surprised we were able to get on the field in some areas safely, um, but we're able to do that. Non-contact, but that's, that's a good thing. Well, I know we are all very excited, Mags. Boston, one of the great sports cities. Uh, the Northeast, obviously one of the great spots in the U.S. as well. So excited to see what 2021 holds. It sounds like it's still a mystery even for the great mags, you know, the, the just ask TK, Kaiser Soze, say, what are we doing next year? And he'll let us know. But appreciate you coming on the show, mate. I know you're busy. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on with the Free Jacks and outside. Appreciate you coming on and uh, enjoy the week. I'm sure it's not going to be the last of the big announcements coming out for New England before we kick off 2021. Yeah, Dan, Pete, Aaron, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great to catch up. Come visit once it's safe to. Anytime. Anytime. Love that city. Dunkin' Donuts on you. Boston cream the New England Free Jacks Boston cream down there that's my biggest failure because we don't have that let's get that on the socials and start retweeting we'll make it happen we'll force it into existence how's that sound great Free Jacks Boston cream down there appreciate it thanks Max appreciate your time legend thanks guys bye bye there you go Alexander Magleby what an interesting personality he is and uh, a man who is let's call him a renaissance man because he really has you know, sampled all the flavors of Baskin Robbins in terms of the rugby world, hasn't he? Well, I mean, you know, I think that uh, Mags brings a level of thinking that's a little bit unusual, I think, in the game of rugby, even at the highest levels. And he's definitely a guy that thinks about um, uh, the game in, in, and actually everything in, in systems, right? So he thinks about everything in systems and, and he loves to build things. And I think that he's, um, a great person for the Free Jacks to have as they look to build their structures and their systems. Um, and I think he's super excited about um, who they're bringing in for next year. And it's obviously, I think, going to be um, some big upgrades on the way. It certainly is. One of those upgrades is going to join us right now. They're marquee signing out of South Africa, Terra Matembu. All right, Terra, thanks for joining the show, legend. Appreciate it and newly signed with the New England Free Jacks. How's it, guys? Thank you for having me. Well, big news for you this week. You've been announced as one of the marquee signings for the 2021 season. You follow in the footsteps of your former teammate, Tendai Matawira, who went to Old Glory. Have you uh, had a chance to catch up with Tendai during the lockdown to kind of get his thoughts on Major League Rugby? And, and was that influential in your move over to the U.S.? Um, I didn't speak to him as much as I would like to. Um, we spoke briefly just before he joined that side, um, which was obviously the beginning of the year. Um, and I actually spoke to him last week about it, but like briefly. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, if a man of his caliber can play um, that side, I mean, there's obviously a lot of potential. Um, and it's something that I've always wanted to do, believe it or not. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Oh, it's it is a it's going to be an awesome opportunity, not only for you but also for the people of the uh, the northeast up there with the Free Jacks, mate. Talk a little bit about your history now for for the Free Jacks fans who probably don't know a lot about Terra Matembu. What was your history in the game? Um, your your rise at the Sharks that led to you captaining the side, and a little bit of background of kind of the player that they're going to get up in New England. Um, so I'm originally from the Eastern Cape. Um, I went to school at Rockdale College. Um, went there, then I played in a tournament here, which is called the Kersney Festival, a school's tournament. Um, I did I did a right there, and then I got um, <clears throat> a junior contract from the Sharks. Um, and then I came through here, um, played under 21s um, in 2010. Then I played for the SA7s. Um, for a season, I played um, at the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Games in 2010 in New Delhi. Um, then I stayed with the Sevens for for a whole season on loan. Um, came back, played on Twin Ones again at the Sharks and make my Curry Cup and Super Rugby debut in 2012 against Western Province and the Stormers, which is a bit of a story which I don't know if I should be sharing, where growing up, there's a good mate of mine, Skaran Tubeni, who plays for 
don't know if he'll be okay if I say this, who plays for the Stormers. So growing up, he used to be a big Shock supporter and I was a big Western Province supporter. So for me to make my senior debuts against Western Province and the Stormers was a big thing for me. Um, so I went through, then I played for the Sharks and um, the senior side and I... I kept in the side the first time in 2014 in the Curry Cup. Um, and I was just a bit unlucky with injuries over the years. Um, and, I mean, I've been in and out of the team through injuries. Um, and I've been here for 10 years, which, yeah, it's gone by very, very quickly. Um, you know, I, I mean, I could have stopped playing, but, like, I feel I haven't fulfilled my full potential. And and going to America, um, yeah, it's a great opportunity, and I'm looking for really looking forward to it and see how far or how well I can do. Now you did mention the injuries. Obviously, uh, the ACL was a big one. I think that took two years uh, to finally get back fighting fit and playing. That was two years ago, though. You are at the back end of some good rugby. You have been injury free for a while now. What are you looking into the MLR in terms of your performance? Are you looking to play eight or wherever the team needs you? What have your conversations been so far with the Free Jacks? Um, in terms of that or the position, we, we haven't spoken anything. Um, I prefer to play number eight, um, but I'm comfortable playing um, on the side of the scrum as well. Um, so I'll play wherever I'm needed. I just want to enjoy myself, enjoy rugby, um, and just play at the best um, of my ability and hopefully do well for the team and contribute to the, towards the team's success. Oh, you're an absolute beast off the back of the scrum. I've watched some of your highlights. Uh, your set piece runs off the back of the scrum. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, fly halves in Major League Rugby who are terrified at the moment to think that's going to be coming off the back. It's going to be an absolute pleasure to watch, though. I'm going to go into rewind a little bit because one of the fly halves you might be running at is Robbie Coleman, who played you in the semifinals at the Commonwealth Games in New Delhi. And you said that you're looking to get some vengeance from that game. You're going to break Robbie Coleman and Nola Gold in half when you get a hold of him. You're going to hurt him so bad for doing that in New Delhi. But tell us a little bit about the Commonwealth Game experience, how cool that was. Um, I, I remember the Commonwealth Games actually 2010, watching it, I was in America, and there was a lot yeah. of concerns over the monsoons there, whether it was going to wash the whole games out because October is very hot, humid and rainy. Yes. Uh, how was the experience as a whole with the, uh, the, the blitz box there? And you know, just tell us a bit about the Commonwealth Games and how your experience was with the team. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <clears throat> and it happened all so quickly because it was my first year out of school um, and I just started playing under-21s. I went to the SA Under-20 World Cup, um, played all five games, played 57 minutes. Um, and the coach then, Paul Trug, um, invited me to the camps. So what would happen, I would go from Monday to to Thursday, depending on when the Tuna ones were playing, and then go do captain's run for the Sharks, play a game Saturday, Friday or Saturday, Sunday, go back to the seventh. I still don't know why we did that. Um, I would go there for the whole week, come back, play, but obviously I didn't play for the whole season until the final team was announced. And because it was so hot in India, we did a training camp in Dubai. I don't know which place was hotter at the time. Um, <laughs> we went from Dubai for a week and we literally went to New Delhi for, I think, two days before we started playing, played until we got knocked out or won the bronze medal. Then we left the next day. Like we didn't, the plan wasn't for us to stay there. Um, I mean, but yeah, it was, so it was my first year out of school and what a start to my career, which was awesome. I mean, we won the bronze medal. I remember that game when we lost to, to, lost to Australia. I actually remember the coach starting me um, I think one minute before halftime. And you can imagine in sevens, it's only seven minutes because I mean, I wasn't playing well. Um, and when we lost to Australia, which they had a good team, I believe. Um, but we were fortunate to win the bronze medal. But yeah, the Commonwealth Games was it was an amazing experience for me. Um, 
and just to see the different teams. I mean, we all stayed in the village. I mean, we got to mingle with all the other South Africans, all the other athletes, um, even around the world, all the other teams. It was just awesome. Um, for me, it was, you know, it was, it was kind of frightening just seeing all these names that a month, a few months ago, I was watching on TV and I getting to play with some legends, playing against some. I remember for New Zealand, I think um, Zach Guilford was playing um, and another Super Rugby player, um, there's a flag. But anyway, so it was it was a good experience. I, I really I really enjoyed it and I, I don't have any regrets. You're about 110 kgs now. How, how much weight did you lose in Dubai and New Delhi on those camps? In Dubai, I lost six kilograms alone. Oh. I remember. Um, they thought I was sick. I was <laughs> weighing in, I think I was weighing in at 92 um, back then. And I had to pick up another three or four kilograms. But in transitioning to 15s, I had to pick up some weight and get a bit stronger, you know, because, I mean, it's a little bit, a little bit more physical. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a bit of free jacks now. You, you signed on. You, you're going to be one of the, the big names that come over to Major League Rugby. How did the conversation with New England start? Where, was it something that you've always, you've mentioned you had an interest in coming to the U.S.? Is this something that you pursued down or, or did New England come after you knowing that you were interested in coming over? Um, so there's also a bit of a story, believe it or not. When up when we played in Las Vegas in 2011 with the Splits Box, um, we won that tournament. And um, so obviously during the week, man, I mean, I came from a small town. I had the small town mentality. When I'm working, I'm working. I didn't explore Las Vegas up until the last night when we won, and we had to leave the next day. So I've always said that I wanted. I needed to go back to America. I never thought I'd go and play because I mean, I mean, the, the MLR wasn't existing back then. Um, but how it started, I was I was chatting to a friend of mine, a good friend of mine here in South Africa, um, and he somehow had the high performance manager Tom Kindley. He had his contacts, and I said to him, "Just oh, man, what?" Just give him my, my CV um, and we'll just see what transpires. And he did that. And then I spoke to Tom, I think, the next day or a couple of days afterwards. And I mean, when he called and they said they were interested, I didn't, I didn't hesitate at all. Um, I said, I'm key and let's make this work. Um, I need a fresh start. I need something new. And I've always wanted to go back to America. Um, didn't know it was to play, but to live in America now is going to be a big thing for me um yeah like i said i'm just super excited i'll leave tomorrow yeah i don't know if tom told you but boston in february is a little different to vegas in february just a heads up pack something warm very very warm <laughs> i'm not looking forward to that i must say <laughs> i've heard i think when i get there it'll be winter still in december yeah yeah northeast um, winters can be pretty tough too yeah but i mean i'll get used to it <laughs> Oh, yeah. Toughen you up. It'd be good for you. So now it's all done. It's a deal. You're coming to New England. If you could bring one Sharks teammate with you, who would you bring over? <laughs> um, a, a good friend of mine, Mzamo Machola, he's an up-and-coming prop. You'd swear he's from that side, the way he speaks English. Um, he, I can bet you now he will play in America. At some point in his career, he's so he's so invested in America and the American culture. Um, I think I would definitely take him, <laughs> and I, I have no doubt that he will. If he gets the opportunity, he'll he'll play that side. Well, you have it, TK. Get on the phone, make it happen. We'll have <laughs> like a, we'll have nearly a whole Sharks forward pack playing for the Free Jacks next year. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Tara, we appreciate you jumping on, mate. Uh, any final words for the Free Jacks fans for 2021? Yeah, um, just yeah, just to all the fans. Um, uh, just firstly, I think my or the most important thing is to get the team's trust and respect, um, and everything that I do or I'll be contributing is for the team and for the people 
um, all the, the fans of the Free Jacks. Um, I've heard wonderful stories and it's a great community. I mean, the fans play a big part in any team and I think anyone um, will admit to that. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I just obviously need to prove myself that I'm good enough to be there. So yeah, I'm just need them to be patient with me if it does take long um but yeah i'm looking forward to it and i can't wait to get to boston i'm excited to to call you games next year looking forward to shaking your hand in person sharing a beer after the first free jacks game i call safe travels stay healthy and uh, hopefully december will be here sooner rather than later and you will be uh getting settled in boston massachusetts thanks again for joining the show legend thank you so much thank you for having me all right, anytime. There he is, Terry Matimbo from the Sharks, now the New England Free Jacks of Major League Rugby. There you go, Pete. And boy, oh boy, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at his highlights yet, Pete, but he is going to be a handful for defences here in Major League Rugby in 2021. I love this signing out of the gate, not only for the new coach who we're about to talk to, but also for Mags, Eric Anderson, and all the ownership group up there in New England. Love it. Well, I think this is someone that brings some physicality, a great ball carrier, very dynamic, a former sevens player. So he's going to be around the field a lot. But I think we heard it from Mags as well, that this is someone who's, this isn't like a guy that's 34, 35. This is someone in the prime of their career at, at 29 who also can bring leadership. And I think that we've seen in Major League Rugby that the best foreign players are the ones that play at a high level, but also raise the level of those around them. And I think Terra's going to be able to do that for the Free Jacks. All right, Pete, we're going into your wheelhouse now as we bring in the new head coach for the Free <laughs> Jacks. Here little, we go. Here we go. Little, put the kids to bed. We're going to have a little coach-on-coach coach action coming up here. <laughs> Not sure if I can keep this PG between these two. Without further ado, let's welcome in the new head coach of the Free Jacks, Ryan Mark. All right, we are joined now by the newly minted head coach for the New England Free Jacks. That is Ryan Martin, by the way, of Otago slash the Melbourne Rebels. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Marto, first of all, thanks for joining the show, brother. How are you holding up down there in New Zealand? Oh, firstly, thanks for having me. And uh, no, New Zealand's in a, a very good space. Uh, I've had a few interesting conversations with people in South Africa and around Europe. So uh I think what we've done is, is uh, helped us. And uh, obviously, you can see we're playing uh, to full stadiums in our new Super Rugby Aotearoa competition. So, she's all full steam ahead here. Now, big announcement is you are the new head coach for the Free Jacks of 2021. Congratulations. Obviously, going to one of the great US cities in Boston uh, with a very rich sporting tradition. You know, the Patriots, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox. Uh, how much of that played into your decision and how... Did that decision come about for you? Obviously, you're pretty ingrained in the system down there with Otago. You do a lot of work with the Melbourne Rebels of Super Rugby as well. What sort of went into that process for you to take this opportunity uh, with the New England Free Jacks? Oh, well, f firstly, I was intrigued around the MLR. Um, th there's a lot of talk in Australia and, and New Zealand around what's going on. There's a lot of intrigue around the MLR as a, as a competition. Um, and when you get the lights of Ma'anonu uh, turning up and uh, applying his trade there, it, 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 people start to look. Um, so firstly, I was, I was intrigued around that. Um, secondly, around the Boston Free Jacks, I kind of saw it as an awesome opportunity to be engaged in, a, as you said, um, a, a place that uh, has such a rich, a rich and uh, traditional history and sport um, across a lot of different codes. And the potential to go on with a kind of a startup business mentality and, and grow a a supporters base and, and get some intrigue around what rugby looks like in that kind of circle. So, um, no, I was pretty pumped. I, I made a major mistake though, when I uh, had my first meeting with Mags, um, the CEO, and I was wearing a Chicago Bulls hat. Um, so he hit me up about that straight away. So I actually have just newly purchased a Boston Celtics uh, hat that I'll be wearing proudly from now on. Well done. Well, well, Ryan, you know, you have a, a long coach, coaching history that starts with um, coaching kids and has worked your way up. And, you know, I know it must be um, challenging in New Zealand when you don't have sort of that elite level playing background. I, I've, I've been through a similar journey myself, but that allows you to bring something different. And when we talked to Mags, he talked about actually how your, you know, professional background in education means that you have like a strong philosophy 
about how you think about learning and coaching. I was wondering if you can share a little bit about what, you know, what that is for you and, and, and what you can bring to the free jacks. Yeah, totally. So, so quick background is um, I was in education for 17 years prior to becoming a professional coach. Um, and the, the first year of teaching, I was at a school in South Auckland called Papatoa Intermediate, 1,000 students, 70% of it Pacific and Maori. And uh, what, what I quickly realized was coaching was a, a key ingredient in terms of your, your classroom, your behavioral management. So the relationships you build outside the class um, lead to um, manageable behaviors inside the class. So that, that, that sparked my interest around coaching and, and I coached a lot of different sports. But obviously in New Zealand, rugby is, is, is critical and, and it's, it's, it's held really highly in, in all, sport, uh, all sports from primary through to secondary school, high school. Um, so it was always natural that I was going to go down that pathway. Um, it wasn't until I went into the secondary school system at Otago Boys High School, which um, I'm an old boy of, when I started to um, basically become semi-professional in, in the approach that I prepared the rugby team. So that was in 2010. Um, what, what teaching uh, allows you to do, it's sim basically simply teaching is coaching. Um, so I, over that 17-year period, I was able to make a lot of mistakes at the coalface and mistakes that weren't huge in the terms of, you know, sponsorship or money involved or the players you're dealing with. So I was able to, I suppose, at the coalface of the game, um, get a real clear understanding around what I saw was important and, and especially around skill acquisition and, and what is the quickest way to, to, to make shifts in players. And um, it was really interesting when I got my first professional coaching job with Otago four years ago. Um, and I'm obviously pretty nervous going into the realm of the, of the professional world um, and especially not being an ex-professional player. Um, I think there's only two of us in the whole New Zealand Mitre Cup that hadn't been ex-professional players. So we were the outliers essentially. And um, what I learned on the, on the Monday when you get your team together for a weekend's match is it's essentially just a race as to which team learns the quickest. Uh, so that was a bit of an epiphany for me. I was like, hang on a minute, this is actually my realm. Um, so I suppose I, um, I've used a lot of teaching strategies and, and um, even going into the Rebels and, and working with Dave Vessels, who's highly, highly regarded internationally and a, a real phenomenal thinker of the game, has worked under Jake White, Rassi um, and Eddie Jones and using some very basic teaching principles. Um, even Dave, I know, uh, was really impressed around some of them and, and still uses them with the Rebels um, at the moment. So. That, I, to to uh, go back to your question, I, I think it's given me the ability to make lots of mistakes and, and uh, come through pretty strongly with the philosophy around um, you know, what it looks like at the coalface to make true changes in a rugby, a rugby team. So, you know, when, you, when we talk to um, coaches, they, they're sort of either, um, or, or most normally, except for the unicorns, they either like have huge amounts of technical knowledge yeah. but not quite sure how to transfer them, right? Or they're really good at the transfer, but not necessarily as strong in their expertise. Yeah. That's kind of a continuum. Where do you think you sit? And when it comes to expertise, what's the area of the game that, that you love coaching the most? Uh, well, firstly, the, the area I love is attack. Um, the people say that the defense is the heart of your team. That, that's your attitude. And I believe attack is the vibe of your team, the feel. So if you're feeling good, you tend to attack better. Um, so I, I, I love playing around with attack and um, being innovative, uh, especially in the way that you use your forwards in attack. Um, I, I can't stand needlessly sending our forwards into brick walls um, when uh, you know a huge part of their game is set piece. And if we're sending them into brick walls and expecting them to be awesome at set piece as well, it just doesn't make sense to me. So, so I'm, I'm massive around how to use the ball efficiently and, and the ratio of backs carries to, to forwards carry. So I've played around with a lot of that in the game. Um, skill acquisition is probably the, the second area I'm, I'm really massive um, and passionate about. And when I talk about skill acquisition, it's actually shifting players. Um, so aspirational players, getting them to the next level of the game and giving them tools that will get them there. So a, a real basic example of that um, is when I got to the Rebels, um, I met Billy Meeks, who I'd never met before. And, we sat down in the first week there and, and he said, listen, I want to be in the Wallabies. I, I want to make the Wallabies, but I, I, I just feel as though I can't uh, break that glass ceiling of getting there. So what we did is sat down and said, well, what's one thing we can make you world-class in straight away? 
in minimal time. And we worked out that if we could throw a really accurate bridge pass, bearing in mind we've got Marika Corumbetti on the wing, then that was going to set Bill apart from the rest of the midfielders in Australia. So we put a, a skill acquisition uh, program in place around his bridge passing. Um, and if you look back uh, in our Lions game just before COVID shut down Super Rugby, you'll see Billy throw a 40-metre bridge pass twice in the match with the nose of the ball up, which is pretty critical for the, the receiving player, uh, to Marika, which gives him time and space. And he's now actually been picked up in the pony list, so, uh, which Australia, Dave Rennie uses for potential players of national interest. So for me, that's a, it's a nice example of what that actually looks like. It's interesting, you, you talked about the one thing that makes it world-class, and you know, when we were talking before we were, we were recording, I've had a few visits to the Brumbies, and I was down there with Jake White, and one of my big aha moments was his focus on what's the one thing that you can do that no one else can do. Yeah. And I think in the States, with the players that we work with, there's like so many things you want to fix, yeah. but when you try and fix 10 things, none of them get fixed. Right. So, so the focus on being really good at the one thing that can make a difference, I think, is absolutely critical and probably more critical in the U.S. because you get pulled as a coach in so many different directions. But, but you've had like I think one of the exciting things for the Free Jacks and the Free Jack fans about you is that you've actually kind of worked just recently worked in a startup right in, in Singapore where you pulled a team together like from around the world that hadn't worked together and you played in the rapid rugby. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned in that role as a head coach, as well as a team that was pulled together at the like from all over the place? Yeah. So that was with the Asia Pacific Dragons and it was a, a huge uh, learning experience for me. Uh, we had players from five different countries come together and based in Singapore, we lived in an apartment block together um, and uh, Singapore had never had a professional rugby entity there as such. So everything we did was groundbreaking in terms of accessing training fields, gym, just getting around the place and dealing in the, in the 40 degree heat day in, day out. Um, I, I think what I was most proud of with that program, um, which I'm excited about with, with Boston uh, Freejacks, is we, we made some real authentic connections with the grassroots of the game. So everybody likes to pay lip service to obviously developing the domestic players and, and creating pathways. But one thing we did was we ended up um, on our Tuesday and Thursday trainings, we would uh, go to clubs in Singapore and actually train body on body with the, with the local clubs. Um, and what that, what that allowed us to do was firstly make connections with the coaching team and, and they could see us, how we would work and, and set up our drills and obviously the communication that we used and all our planning, which we shared with them. But it also gave some um, real connections for their players that were aspirational around what does it look like? What are the you know, behaviours and habits that professional rugby players do? Which I think is probably the most important thing that you can do with the domestic and, and players that are aspirational. Uh, what came out of that was we actually ended up using two local Singapore players. Uh, and in our last match against the Western Force, which we lost 7-3, and the Force are a very good outfit as they're showing in Super Rugby. They're very competitive at the moment. We had two uh, local Singapore, Singapore players involved in that game, um, which, as I said, it wasn't. We weren't paying lip service to creating pathways. We were actually in there at the schools and the clubs, and showing them that there is pathways, and these are the behaviours and attitudes you need to have uh, to be successful in rugby. And I think that's what I was most proud of with that program. That's great, and I think that's going to be very important with the Free Jacks. And talk, let's, let's, you know, my final question for you on the Free Jacks, and, and Dan always tells me coaches love coaches, so he's like, go ahead and ask all the questions. So the Free Jacks had a few games. They had one game in ridiculous windy conditions and scored maybe the craziest try you've ever seen off the crossbar. But have you had a chance to look at the Free Jacks? I mean, most of that team is going to remain intact. What have you seen that you like, and what do you think you need to work on? Yeah, so it's, it's been great for me. Um, I suppose one of the, the cool things about coming in is I can have a really good look at what they've done before and, and have a look at the squad and maybe look at where the deficiencies are and our strengths. Um, so I actually got into a routine. Um, I'd go to the gym here, Les Mills, and jump on the cross trainer, and it has YouTube, so you can just put in the MLR games. And So I was able to watch uh, um, the, the Free Jacks play from that perspective, almost just as a spectator. And, and uh, right. um, obviously, uh, I thought their set piece could have been better. So that was a, a key area for me yep. around being a lot more competitive. Um, and hence, some of our recruitment has, has been in and around that area. 
Um, but I, I like the way they play the game. I, I think um, JP, John Poland at halfback is a phenomenal player. And um, I was really impressed with what he was doing. Um, I, I think there's a lot of growth uh, there. I think sometimes their skill sets let them down under pressure. So uh, they were fine um, when maybe there wasn't as much line speed. As soon as there's line speed, a little bit of pressure, I think their skill sets came undone a wee bit. So that's kind of excites me because I believe that's an area I can fix up pretty quickly. But overall, um, they look like a team that really enjoyed playing for each other, which was a big, big up for me. Um, so I'm coming into obviously a positive environment. And there's some awesome scaffolding in place around the management at the moment. So I think if we get our set piece going really well and, and have one of the best set pieces in the competition as a benchmark, then we can uh, do some pretty special things. Yeah, they, the games they lost were close. You could see it was those pressure moments that probably let them down. And yeah. I hate to break up you two propeller heads uh, talking <laughs> all this coaching stuff. You might bust out the virtual whiteboard, but I've got to go back into your past here, Mato. And yeah. you know, the, the, the rumour going around is probably the greatest captain that we've seen in rugby is Richie McCall. Yeah. And you probably know where this is going. He wasn't the captain at Otago Boys High School, was he? No, so it's a great... Who was? Who was the captain, Marto? And have New Zealand rugby ever remunerated you for teaching him how to be a great captain? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a claim to fame for me, world famous in New Zealand, um, having captain, potentially the greatest captain of the game and the greatest player in his position. Um, and there was a, a great article that the Otago Daily Times, our local newspaper, ran when he came back for a test match and they said... Uh, McCaw comes to visit Skipper. So uh, I quite enjoyed that, um, that uh, headline. And, um, but he's been great. He, uh, he's a, he was one of the original students of the game. Um, and uh, he was a, a phenomenal intellect at, at our school. He actually should have got ducks, which is pretty tough to achieve at, at our, our boys' school. So, no, nah, we, we keep connected. And, yeah, it's a, it's a great wee story for me. It is. You ever call him, say, Richie, my dry cleaning is ready, pal. Hurry up. <laughs> No, not to that level, actually. <laughs> Sign skipper. Yeah. Well, mate, we'll, we'll let you get going. I know you've got a lot of work still with uh, not only uh, Otago Rugby, but also still doing your stuff with the Rebels and getting ready to come over to uh, the Free Jacks as well. Exciting times and excited to see you get over here and what you can do with a very talented squad up there in New England. No, thanks very much. It's been uh, great to, to be part of this. And yeah, that's, that's probably the main word for me is the, the excitement that's building around it. And uh, we're, we're pretty pumped with the roster we've put together, um, which will be coming out in the next couple of days. And there's going to be a couple of special guys involved in the program. Perfect. Love it. We'll keep our eyes uh, peeled for that one and those announcements. Ryan Martin, the new head coach of the New England Free Jacks. Well, thank God we cut that one off, Pete. I think that could have been a three-part series, just the two of you. Great well, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate a coach like Ryan that is really thoughtful about learning, about transfer onto the field. Um, he's exactly the kind of coach that I think thrives in the American setup, where he's a, th a coach that can coach skills. Um, he's a coach that I think has a really strong understanding about how the game can be played and I think it's going to be really powerful but also and we, you know he's he's a coach that wants to give to the game right so he wants to connect the free jacks to the grassroots I think you'll see him out looking you know at high school games at college games in the northeast I think you're going to see someone who wants to be part of the rugby community and I think that's a big win for the free jacks but I think it's a big win for U.S. rugby too. Absolutely excited to see what he can do over there. All right, Pete, let's go around the grounds really quickly now as we wrap up the show. A bunch of re-signings have come out since the last show. We'll start things off not too far from the Free Jacks down I-95 in New York with the Roosters as they get the trio of Troy Lockyer, Kyle Sumption, and the Butcher, Dylan Fawcett, back under contract. You can see Greg McWilliams there trying to bring back the core of his 2020 squad. Well, I think it's Kyle Sumption that to me is the most interesting re-signing. Um, he's a tremendous player who I don't think has ever really fulfilled his potential in MLR. I mean, he was coaching at West Point. I think that got in the way. He's had some injuries. But a fully functional Carl Sumption in the back row for um, Rooney, I think is a big upgrade. Now, really looking forward to seeing if he can really fulfill his potential next year. Yeah, I think his form, especially in Vegas, was probably the best I've seen of him in right. Major League Rugby. 
And it's just a shame that uh, the season ended short because, yeah, I think this could have been a big year for Kyle Sumption. But I agree with you. Uh, a man who's had it all before him, but he's probably got a better perspective on life than most of us. So he's focused on the important things, family, you know, career and stuff like that. But now rugby's kind of, boom, percolated back up. All right, keep going. Oh, glory. Jamison Fiona Schultz, he resigns, as does the ageless Threaten Palamo. I, I felt like it was... Do you know I played with Threaten? And he's still playing? Because he was 18. And someone's was like, he's 32. And, and now I'm like, he's in 32. That's 14 years ago. You're, you're young enough that, like, I mean... I mean, but, but he's a guy that I think has actually, in his major league rugby time with Houston and, and the short time with Old Glory, I think has been a real quality player. And it's great to see him back. I think he's a leader that Glory can build around in, in that midfield. And I think that um, Jameson is also someone that I'm excited to see back. I mean, this is a guy that has shown flashes of brilliance. I think he had some options to go overseas, but has chose to stay with Major League Rugby. And I think that's a big win, not only for Old Glory, but also for the US, because that guy is eagle eligible. In fact, I think he might have a cap or two already. Yeah, right? Yep, right into the lead up to the World Cup, who's very close to making the squad. So, uh, and, and another one who's in Houston, same with Threaten, and now Threaten was there on loan, but that's right. went, went up to Old Glory. So good things happening there. Uh, we'll finish up. Also on the East Coast, up in Toronto. This is a long one, Pete. I'll see if I can do it in one breath. Ben Lesage, Manuel Diana, Leandro Levers, Taylor Adams, and Giuseppe Dutois. Is it Dutois or Dutois? I get... I think, honestly, we've, we've had this discussion. It literally depends who you talk to from the arrows. Yeah, I, I get different We need answers. to get but it from the horse. Giuseppe, I know you're listening. Call me. <laughs> Hit me on the social. How many French dialects do we need to figure out how you Dutois. say Dutois? Du, du because now you, you just put a third one in there. I have heard the toy and Dutois. Yeah, because they say it five different ways. I can't tell so, you. So before we, before we get anywhere, I think that Toronto is doing a tremendous job of bringing back their team. The team that was probably, I mean, with San Diego, the best team um, last year, and then they've supplemented it. So I think these re-signings are really important for Toronto because they want to continue the momentum that they had last year. And they're just looking to find some a little pieces here and there that they can improve because I think they feel confident. So when we see, and, 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 it, and, and they also do a great job with getting the word out about their re-signings. And I, I'm, I'm excited about this group. Yeah, and there's been some more signings around the league. I am too. I, I really like Toronto. Um, I'm just going to go with the phone, Eggs, and call him Do To It from now on. And uh, he can just, until he hits me up, that's what we're going with. But uh, signing Skylar Adams and Ryan James signed with Dallas. So uh, the expansion draft, you'll recognize, obviously, Ryan James from being one of the Raptors products. And I think Skylar Adams was at Austin. He's a Gilgrony, so he's a trader. Must, am, I, am I feeling that right? <laughs> players, players should always be able to go where they get yes, the best play, right, Dan? I'm Even if it hurts kidding. your feelings. It does. And New York, they get a couple of seven-star in Farsui uh, Tai, who's a New Zealand sevens. You saw his highlight for a target off that set piece in the lineup. If you haven't, get on YouTube. It is ridiculous. And Apanisa, here we go, Pete. For the first time, I'm going to give this a shot. It's Bakal Balabu. I think I got that pretty close. Yeah, Bakal Balabu, yeah. yeah. That yeah. sounds right. I, look. Another sevens guy. Pretty uh, dynamic guys to get on the outside. You get a couple of forwards in force and assumption. Lockyer, fullback, center. Now you've got two genuine finishes on the outside. I, I, think, I think this is really exciting for New York because they've... they've um, I think that they need just a little bit more on the outside. That Their, their pack is very, very strong. Um, their midfield is strong, but I think this gives them some competition. They felt like they were just a little light on the outside and that they were just an injury or two away from trying to move a center out to wing. They were doing a lot of that the last couple of years, right? I think O'Keefe played on the wing a couple of times. He's really yeah. a center. So I think this gives them a lot of depth on the outside as well as quantity. So I think those are good signings by, uh, um, by Rooney. Yeah, you got Connor Wallace-Sims there. He's kind of been there they're steadfast on the wing. Matina's versatile. He's played everywhere. Right. So I mean, I think Connor Wallace-Sims is the only wing they really have. I think Chris Matina can play anywhere. He's, yeah. he's more of a utility player. I think he can play on the wing, but he's probably better in the midfield. 
Yeah. So, so I think that outside of Connor Wallace-Sim, they, they haven't really had a pure wing through their first three years, and they've done really well. So this gives them a chance. Finishing becomes so important in these games that are so close that it is an extra foot, an extra couple of feet that you can create, and I think they've got players that can do that. Yep. And we'll go uh, to New Orleans to finish things off. Carl Rogers, who apparently was uh, owing money to Cam Dolan on some rent from San Diego. The only way Dolan thought he could get him was he told Fitzy, sign him, and I'll get it when he gets here. So he goes to New Orleans, just kidding about the rent thing. Mr. and Mrs. Rogers, your son is good. And then Damien Stevens, who's a, a very interesting signing from Namibia, played in the World Cup for Namibia. Now, scrum half, but can play a little bit of wing as well. You've got Holden Younger down there and you've had Scott Gale playing a little bit of nine. So, so oh. this is, he wants some, oh. uh, some trivia. He yeah, scored every trivia. single Namibian point against the All Blacks in the World Cup. Scored a try, kicked the goal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like the one person that could play against the All Blacks in the World Cup. I, 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 think, I think this is a great signing. Like, if you look what... Um, what Nola are doing and what Nate Osborne is doing down there he loves you he loves players that are multi-skilled like you look at Nick Feeks playing out on the wing you look at Scott Gale you look at all these guys they can play multiple positions and he likes to be able to have that flexibility he wants everyone to be able to run pass or kick and I think Damian Stevens is someone that adds in there and I think you know they had some injuries I think um you know i the uh, um, younger Gale decision at nine. Like, I think there was some competition there. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but by pulling Scott Gale out of the midfield, I think they lost something. And so maybe this is a way of adding something back. Um, I just think that, like, you know, Nola always have someone that can play 10, always have someone that can play nine, and they're probably on the field. So, you know, yeah. I just think it's a really interesting um, approach. And I think Carl Rogers... You know, I think that's a good pickup for Nola for the, you know, solid MLR player. Nola were really, if you remember, it feels like a long time ago, but if you remember season two, when they started the first half of the season, they were the best team in the, in the competition. And then the second half of the feeling, they just fell off a cliff. That's because they didn't have the depth. And I think that it's, it's often takes a couple of off seasons for you to solve problems like that. And what I'm seeing from Nola is that they recognize they need quality players, not only on the bench, but quality players not in the 23. Um, you know, you need 35, 40 really, really good players. And if you're unlucky, you're going to go beyond that with your injuries. So I see Nola really building the depth for a full season. And, and hopefully in year four, they'll have that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and you, that philosophy runs through that club top to bottom, right? Long-term GM, long-term head coach, you know, Tim Falcons kind of said, all right, you know, we are successful. We're not a bottom tier team. We're, we're knocking on the door. I'm going to give you guys the time to go out and make this yours and make it work. But I'm sure at the end of the day, he's going to be like, you better bloody do it too. Because uh, that's what it's all about. All right, Pete, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Another show of the books. Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Any musings from the great Pete Simon? Oh, any musings? Yeah. Any musings? What are my musings? Um, you know, I think that I, it's interesting to me to see um, teams, how they're, how they're planning this offseason. You know, I've had an opportunity to talk to a number of teams. I think what, what we often see is we see what happens when they sign players. But what we don't see is them building the infrastructure and the systems outside of that, which is really, really critical. And, you know, you hear it from when we, when we talk to Mags today and in the teams that I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking to, they're, they're thinking, you know, it's, it isn't just the players, right? It's like our high performance systems. It's how we look after players. It's how we, you know, approach our learning. It's, it's all about having a philosophy of, um, of the club and, and what you want to be. And I think there are more and more teams that are talking about that with a big picture where I feel like in the first couple of years, the emphasis was like, we've got to get a team on the field. We've got to get players. I think now teams are like, okay, we've done that. Now it's about creating a culture and creating an organization that can be long-term sustainable. And I think that's really exciting for the league. I think it demonstrates trust and faith that owners and teams have that this league is going to be around. Um, and I think it's good for the players. You should write a book. 
you're you're incredible. <laughs> yeah, All right. I don't I I don't have the patience or the attention span to write a book. I'm just right. spouting off on podcasts. Social media, we've made a splash. We're on Facebook now. We're on Twitter. Are we on Instagram? Do we need to be? We can be tomorrow. Right. That's too much to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> you're running it you make we only want to be on instagram if we want the under 40 crowd do we want the under 40 crowd we want all yes. the crowds we want all the crowds then we need to be on instagram i don't yeah. think we need to be on tiktok i'm not yet no no tiktok no tiktok we're slowly integrating video i don't think we're ready for tiktok just yet but uh get on all the socials bug aaron ask him a bunch of questions that he can then try to ask us We'll ignore him. Just kidding. We'll answer them. <laughs> but make sure you give us a like. I, I listen on iTunes. So I go back and review the show on iTunes. I don't know where you listen to it, Pete. I, I listen to it on iTunes. Um, and uh, yeah. So, so and, and we always say leave a review and then we always forget to check the reviews. If we check the reviews, Aaron, we always forget, right? I looked up last week. There, we need to read some reviews. There's Okay. So, so next weekend, this was a bit of a bumper show. So it was hard for us to fit in reviews but next week aaron let's put it in our run in our rundown that we're going to do a little review review yeah i think i think i think then then we're good dan okay i can live with that i was just quickly checking to see if there's any review i don't i don't know what's new and what's old so the host with the most just kicking goals can we just end the show please can we just end the show (laughs) (laughs) it's late for everyone that's that's wondering why we're like this is our like like we did like it's just a very long show. We've had a lot of recordings today and we're all a little punch drunk. Wrap so. it up for us, Pete. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of my Brian Martin and I'm going to find a guy with aspirations. I'm going to let you close the show up here because I want you to be successful. Go. Oh, please, please leave a review because we will read it next week um, wherever you get your podcasts. And for our producer, Aaron Castro, our wonderful um, host, Dan Power, and myself, Pete Steinberg. This was MLR Kickoff, and I hope you guys have a great day. A 10 out of 10!